Hello, and welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with Mental Health America of Wisconsin. We're your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week, through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We are sisters and best friends who live with depression and have learned that hearing others speak openly and without shame makes it easier to believe depression is a common and treatable illness, not a personal failing. You are far from alone. Hello, Bridget. Hi, Terry. Boy, there's a theme that comes up in almost every conversation that we've ever had with a guest, and it's medication. Mm -hmm. And it's such a complicated and personal and kind of mysterious theme. We've profiled guests that are totally distrusting of big pharma. Uh, We've had people that believe that their meds have saved their lives, others that it's improved them to the point where they actually feel that they have a fighting chance against depression. Mm -hmm. We've even discussed uh, treatment-resistant depression with people who are more than willing to try a new prescription but it just doesn't seem to have any effect or any good effect. Mm -hmm. And with today's guest, we will discuss, among many other things, the struggle of finding lasting relief with medication. Mm. Jennifer reached out to us to share her lived experience with depression and also to talk about how students in the school where she works derive a level of both comfort and trust when the woman who greets them in the counselor's office can say, I've been there. I understand. Jennifer, like so many of our guests, and frankly, you and I as well, started the conversation a little hesitantly. And we found time and time again that once people start talking about their experience of depression, they can quickly find their feet. They get a little more comfortable, um, a little more natural. Mm -hmm. But starting to share your story is a big step. It takes courage. It takes clarity. It takes bravery. It takes trust. And one that we encourage people to take only with somebody that they really can trust Mm -hmm. and when they're ready. And not before. Yep. And not before. It's a process. It's a very cathartic personal process. Mm -hmm. But fortunately for all of us, Jennifer quickly found her stride and shared about sick leave, self-harm, her unique coping mechanisms, and the resilience and patience necessary to live with her depression. Hello. Good morning. Is this Jennifer? Yes, it is. Wow, you have a great voice. This is Terry. Oh, hi, Terry. How are you? Um, I'm doing okay. I'm a bit nervous. A bit nervous about this? Yes. Okay. Yes. Is there anything I can do other than assure you that um, if at the end of the call, you know, you say, you know what, don't use that, I'll just delete it? Um, I, no, I don't think so. I think it's just okay. something I just have to sort of work through. Okay. If there's anything I do that makes you uncomfortable, let me know. And if there's anything I can do to make you more comfortable, let me know, please. Okay, sounds good. Okay, so we'll start. Well, let's start by not talking about you. And you can just tell me um, when you first wrote and you said that um, the podcast is a source of comfort for you. I'm curious as to how hearing other people's experience of depression is comforting to you. 
Um, well, specifically for me and my experience right now, um, I am on medical leave mm-hmm. and uh, the days get a bit lonely. Um, my significant other works full time and um, having those voices really has helped me and has helped me made it through the day because the day does get a bit long. Mm-hmm. So it's hearing other people say things that you relate to. Is that is that the comfort? Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And knowing that what I'm going through here, sometimes feeling like I'm alone, I'm not alone. Nice. I'm glad it works that way for you because that was certainly the intent. So you say you've really experienced depression for pretty much as long as you can remember. Um, I do remember my origination date. It was actually the very first and last time I ever went to summer camp. Ah. And uh, I, uh, I had been looking so forward to it all, uh, all summer. And then I went and felt absolutely miserable. You know, it was just chalked it up to, you know, me not liking summer camp. But then that year I started grade seven and uh, the loneliness continued and the misery continued. And um, it was less than a year that I got my actual uh, clinical diagnosis of severe depression. Did the school alert your parents? Is that how the connection yes, was made? Yes, it was very uncharacteristic of me. I was disrupting class. I was breaking down. I was sobbing in the hallway. Mm. Um, I went to school in a very small town, and so the the teachers knew me, and they knew that this was not this was not the Jennifer they knew. So that started your. Um, I don't even know what adjectives to use when people have to try so many different drugs. It's it's you know disheartening. It's frustrating. It's sometimes dangerous. Tell me about that. It's been a long journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so my first medication, I don't even remember which one it was. It was probably something similar to Prozac. And uh, I recently, in the last year, had a discussion with my, my current psychiatrist who has said that I've been on not quite every drug on the market, but at least every drug family. And you're trying a new one right now, so you still haven't really found the fit. I am. I am. I'm on. I'm on Vibrid right now, which is one of the newest ones on the market. Have you done the DNA testing? I have not, and I've actually recently discussed it with my uh, with my psychiatrist. And he he sort of hemmed and hawed and sort of said, "Well, it was one route that I could go, but didn't really, I guess, show much enthusiasm for it." And because I've already been on just about everything else, I'm really looking at sort of just narrowing it down to what's the newest ones on the market now. I mean, it has to be so frustrating. I I mean, I have had good uh, stretches of time where medication really has helped me. By the end of the period of time, it just, they seem to all stop working, which has been frustrating for me. Mm -hmm. Because when I hear you say that, and I'm very fortunate that has not been my experience, but I think of how hopeless depression itself makes you feel. And then when the medications that are designed to help you feel better don't work, how do you keep hope? Hmm. Tomorrow comes whether I want it to or not. And there have been a lot of times where I did not want tomorrow to come and it still came and I still had to go on and try the new med. And and I guess because I have had certain successes, at least limited success with certain types of medications, 
I, I guess there is a little bit of uh, a little bit of sunshine out there that perhaps that this medication will work again down the road. I think that would require great personal strength. Well, thank you. I um, I don't always feel strong. No, I understand that. Yeah, some days it just you just got to marshal yourself and keep going, even if the keep going is just to stay in bed another day and hope it keeps gets better. Mm-hmm. Hate that. How do you explain depression to someone who doesn't have it? It is almost like. Uh, it's almost like the villain in a in some of those movies that you see where they they are able to control the hero and they're able to make the hero do what they want and just a part of you knows that this is this isn't right and this isn't correct and these thoughts aren't aren't yours and yet it's still there and it still controls you and it still manipulates you to no end and I can honestly say you know when I had my worst depression, which was what caused me to start this. I didn't know that. I, I just hook, line, and sinker bought the crap that depression was saying to me, and no part of me thought, you know, th- this could be a symptom of an illness. Perhaps you should contact your doctor. You know, I was just like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, right, you're right. right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Every day. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this is me. Mm-hmm. This is me. Yeah. And uh, and I have to admit, there are, there are times that I uh, I have taken it, and I, I've, I've swallowed what it's given me, and just accepted it. Boy. Okay, so... Someone asked me the other day what depression has taken from me. So I'm asking you. Wow, that is a tough one. Mm-hmm. Um, not just the ability to experience joy, but just the missed experiences. All the time that I could be working. I have a friend who's running politically. And... Uh, you know, she 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 wants me to go door knocking with her. She wants me to help her with her campaign, and and I want to do that. And yet, and yet, the darkness still is there. And I feel that it it in some ways it robs us of experiences and all those good things in life that we could be doing, if not for this constant battle with this illness. You said you have a significant other. Does he or she recognize this as an illness and, and is, uh, is of a support? Oh, yes. He is my biggest support. He's just always there, always willing to give me what I need, even if what I need is space. I always think I want to be alone when I'm in it, and I wonder if we're correct. Do you think maybe... Being alone isn't our best bet or, or the healthiest choice? Oh, I definitely think it's probably not our healthiest choice. I think it, uh, I think it gives the depression power. Um, it allows us to be with our own thoughts or the thoughts that we think belong to us. And it's, uh, yeah, so definitely being with someone and having that external voice tell you different, I think, for me anyway, I think is extremely helpful. I've talked to a lot of people who have said things like word games or puzzles, just enough that you have to think of something else and get out of your head, but not in a stressful or, you know, exhausting way. Mm-hmm. Is that any tool you use? Um, actually, funny you should mention that. Just this spring, I taught myself to knit. 
Yeah. While being on medical leave. Yeah, keeping my hands busy and, and keeping myself at least occupied enough to follow, to knit and purl and that sort of thing has, has helped, yeah. Tell me what else. One thing that I've used was pacing. Mm. And I would literally, when I, when I got down into a dark episode, would pace for hours and hours. Until I was absolutely exhausted, and especially during periods when I felt the urge to Mm self-harm, I felt that the pacing really helped expel that energy. And then basically at the end, I was too too tired to do anything, and then it was just go to bed. Tell me how you have used or are using your experiences to help students. By the way, are you comfortable with this? Are you okay? This is going okay? Oh, this is going great. Yeah, this this is, this is, this is, I actually, it's going better than I thought because I thought I would have a mouthful of cotton and a completely blind mind and I'm actually doing a lot better than I, than I figured. You're doing great. Thank you. So I am an administrative assistant in a counselor's office in a public high school. Basically, I am like the receptionist. So they come in and I am the first face they see. I am the smiling hello. <laughs> and for a lot of students, it's a lot of basic stuff. But we do have a very large population of depressed and high anxiety students. I am not a counselor. Mm-hmm. I do not counsel. What I can do is provide that experience. Often for some of these kids, I am the very first person who has ever said to them, I am like you. Great power in that. Yeah. On my right forearm, I have the semicolon tattoo right next to my self-harm scar. I am very honest about it. I used to self-harm as well. So when they ask how you stopped, what is your answer? I, I tell them that it's, it's, about, it's about distracting yourself. And I bring up the pacing. And I bring up that you need to find that one thing that will get you out of your head in that second for the next 30 seconds and then the next 60 seconds and we'll stop those thoughts from just eternally swirling around in your head. Is that the same advice you give for the negative thoughts of depression? Very much so, yeah. Yeah. When you reached out, and I thank you for doing that, was there a particular lesson that you wanted to share that when you were listening to other people's stories you thought, this would be helpful to somebody listening? The one thing that I wanted to share with working in a school and working in a counselor's office is is that we don't have to all be saving the world to make a difference for those of us who've gone through it and are still going through it. That it's those little connections that we make every day and being open and being honest and fighting the stigma that it really can impact an individual. Um, I think I would have appreciated that if I had known someone who had gone through it when I was their age. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you for the time and, and thank you for all you do. Thank you for, for putting this together. I haven't found another podcast that even comes close to sort of expressing what I feel a lot at times. 
Wow, Jennifer, you certainly did express how you feel. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing it with us. I've never heard anybody speak to the loss that depression imposes on us. Mm-hmm. You know, she says that she, that we're robbed of our good experiences and obviously missed work is in there. But um, it does impose a deep, deep loss. Oh, it does. Not just of joy. People talk about the loss of joy, but, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, as she says, it's, it's more than that. It is more than that. And I love when she said we don't all need to save the world to make a difference, that it's the little connections we make every day that can make a difference for someone. I agree completely. And her, and her word choice of the eternal swirl of mm. negative thoughts. Mm. It's like... Oh, is that ever accurate? I want to mention the semicolon tattoo that Jennifer has. For those of you who don't know that it is a symbol of suicide prevention, the idea from Project Semicolon is that when an author is writing a sentence, they have the choice of ending it with a period or continuing it with a semicolon and that we are the authors of our own stories and that the semicolon is uh, representative of our choice to continue our sentence, our story, our life. It's a huge suicide prevention movement that anybody can Google and look up. Mm -hmm. We ended last season asking if any of you have a topic or perspective that you'd like us to explore in an upcoming issue. And we were lucky enough to receive some really great suggestions. That's a standing offer, by the way. If you ever have any ideas or suggestions on something we can research or follow up on or how we can improve, we really would love to hear from you. And the easiest way to reach out to us is Terry, T-E-R-R-Y, at givingvoicetodepression.com or Bridget, B-R-I-D-G-E-T, at givingvoicetodepression.com. That is it. Thank you, Jennifer, for sharing your story with us and for, uh, you know, adding your voice to the pool of voices that let people know that they're not alone. Bye, Bridget. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Terry. Love you, Bridge. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on Depression's Dark Road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.